All right. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls and everybody in between, welcome to another episode of the Jake Botel Sports Experience. My name is Jake Botel, and I'm privileged to be joined for, I believe, the second time on the Jake Botel Sports Experience. Uh, a great man from the football wilderness uh, who is carving his own niche um, through independent football media. Uh, one of the most knowledgeable and, you know, not just football, just one of the most broadly knowledgeable dudes you're ever likely to have a chin wag with. One of the funniest bastards on the internet. Uh, Mr. John Turner, welcome back to the Jake Botel sports experience. Well, thank you for having me. It's always, it's always a pleasure to talk to you just kind of behind the scenes in person, uh, you know, whether we're on a camera in front of a microphone, it doesn't matter. One day we'll do, we're going to do this like at a, at a bar or a coffee shop. Yes. And it'll be just as good. Yes. A hundred percent. Can't wait for that to happen. Um, once, once all this international stuff dies down and we can once again, you know, traverse to other people's countries Um uh, so thanks so much for coming on the show today. You've been um, an absolute machine recently pumping out content on uh, a footballworld.com, which is a website people should go and visit. It's full of just incredible independent uh, football writing. It's got links to live shows from uh, things like Pro Football Alliance, who are doing a lot of talk about USFL and XFL, um, CFL, and some NFL as well. So uh, I've had the privilege to to write on your site, John, um, and yeah, really thankful for the opportunity. But people should go and check out footballworld.com. As my rooster goes off his head, um, you know, somewhere outside my window, it's great. When I'm podcasting, all of the animals in and around the house can sense it and they want to get on mic, um, which makes me sound like an absolute hick. Um, but you have written an article, uh, John, that I wanted to talk with you about. I think it's fascinating. Um, it's called NFL Crystal Ball, predicting the NFL coaches five years from now. Now, this is like one of your massive specialties is doing these like crystal ball sort of gazing pieces about NFL expansion and hey, what would the league look like, you know, in 10 years if, and this is no different. This is a great article. You've got 36 names in here that you think, you know, can be head coaches at the NFL level um, five years from now. But before we get into those guys, I want to ask you why and how is the NFL going to expand to 36 teams across the next five years. I think the listeners and the readers will be fascinated to hear your take on this. Well, uh, so last year, almost like a, a, a full calendar year, might even been longer than that, I don't know. Uh, I, I wrote something called, um, a similar article, just kind of one of these long, it was basically one long run-on sentence. It took you a half an hour to read. But basically, it was the NFL's plan to uh, launch their international sister city program. And I had been finding bits and pieces of information uh, about the NFL plan um, to, to start expanding their marketing and expanding where and when they're going to play these um, away games outside of America. Um, I had been following it for a couple of years and, and finally at, at about midway through 2019 um, or 2020, excuse me, midway through 2020, I stumbled across some information in a European um, newspaper. Uh, that had been converted over to a, you know their website and all that. And, and it, it's like going to the library and looking up archived newspapers and with <laughs> yeah. these magnifying glass and things. I'm sitting here researching. But, um, and <laughs> it had a lot there. of great information <laughs> about it. And, and, and then, of course, we were uh, six months into this new pandemic. I mean, we were just, uh, uh, we were supposed to flatten that curve three months ago, but here we were, right? So I'm just looking around for some football stuff because half the football companies have now gone on a bit out of business. And, uh, and I wanted to put something out there. Uh, and I finally found a good chunk of information. So what the um, NFL wanted to do 
back starting in 2000 mm -hmm. was they wanted to launch a five-year marketing plan for each of the 32 NFL teams. And the goal was, is to give each team a remote area, you know, so like if a half a dozen teams go to Germany, you know, maybe you get this corner, I get that corner, we'll get the central, south, north, you know what I mean? Everybody can kind of market in that general area, create fans of the game in that general area. And of course, uh, for themselves, their team, that's like their second home away from home there, uh, you, you know, so I immediately kind of thought a team like Pittsburgh would immediately go to Ireland because the Rooney, Mr. Rooney was the, the U.S. ambassador to Ireland, the owner for the Steelers. So, uh, you know, I started trying to connect all these fits where they could go, um, things like that. And um, obviously I had New England going to England. Why wouldn't they just go to old England? I, you know, <laughs> made sense to me, but Back to the come to find out they're going to Germany, you know, fast forward. But okay, so what happened? And, and the further I read, it was the NFL wants to expand. They want to expand internationally but they want to do it where they're going to be the most successful. So the NFL doesn't really ever make any mistakes mm. in this regard. Okay. Yes. They have a few markets that are outside of the top 30. Okay. Green Bay is a smaller one. Um, but hell, even St. Louis, a team that they moved out of town, they're ranked number 21 in Nielsen, Nielsen market rating. So they're looking not only for towns that can sustain coming to the stadium every time they play a game there, but people that are going to buy some t-shirts and jerseys and hats and become fans of the game and, and getting those people that, um, I mean, they're all diehard soccer and cricket and whatever fans over there, you know, they, they really, you know, most of them don't care about football, but if you, if you feed it to them enough, like the NFL just force feeds you you know what i mean they sew your butthole closed and they just keep feeding you until you blow um and that's what they do so it, it's it, there's no doubt that they're going to put a small team of people in each one of these cities uh to represent their team and they're going to market it the correct way that's going to be acceptable in that area because you can't really advertise the american way outside of america they, people don't take information Mm. Uh, like they take it here. Mm. Um, we just bend over and take it in America. In other countries, they kind of say, ah, you know what? Talk to the hand, pal. Uh, Messi's on. So, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but if you do it the right way, if you, if you have the right approach, and I have a feeling that they can figure out what that approach is, they're going to nail down two to four cities that they're going to find a permanent spot for uh, to uh, keep a team long haul and um, that's what this is all about. So that's where we came to the number 36. I believe that the timing, five years, okay, um, it's now been pushed back two years. Because like I said, they wanted to start this in 2000, but COVID, travel ban, everybody's dying. Yeah. Um, you know, even Delta lost a little bit of money. Yeah. Um, but uh, Delta, the airline, not yeah. the, uh, the virus. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so, so what I'm saying is that um, they weren't selling all these, you know, uh, um, uh, NFL on location packages to travel to go see your team play in Wembley, you know, in the last couple of years as much and all that. They took a hit. So they had to delay this marketing plan by two years. But wait, j just a month or two ago, they actually came out and released all the information that I had written about quite some time ago. They just needed the right time and they needed for that curve to be eh, quasi flattened so they could get people <laughs> excited about it. Um, <laughs> but uh, we're not quite flat. We're still like a banana, but, yeah. but we're getting flat. A little bit of a curve. <laughs> um, but, but anyway, uh, it's, it's going to start, I would say, probably in the off season of next year is when they're really going to hit the gas. So here's the five-year explanation. Um, the NFL last year redid their collective bargaining agreement, and it's uh, and they also did their new TV deals with all the networks, ABC, ESPN, Fox, NBC, over $115 billion worth of television deals. But the NFL was smart. They put a potential out clause so they could get out of that deal halfway through. Well, that would be five years from now. Okay. Why would they do that? Why would they want, you know, want to 
115 billion dollars that's nothing to kind of bat you know bat your eye at and walk away from right well with streaming going to where it is the streaming platforms buying more and more content and then cable is kind of hit a plateau and maybe within five years from now might be actually on its way down uh, because people are just starting to consume uh, television differently. And then you've got Elon Musk. He's shooting a new satellite into space, looking to have his own national broadband internet offered worldwide in the next five to 10 years. Um, so, you know, some streaming platforms are going to be feeding off of that. And there's going to be, you know, business transactions associated with. Um, so that opt out sure sounds like the right amount of timing to not only renegotiate those television deals, but if you renegotiate them right after you announce that you're putting a team in London or Toronto or Mexico City or yeah. Hamburg, Germany or something like that. And, and now you've got Sky Sports willing to spend quadruple, which is the major broadcast carrying uh, network out there in Europe. I mean, they're paying book. It's insane the amount of money they throw at some of these soccer leagues. Uh, so that kind of is why it all kind of adds up to that five-year window to me. It just makes a lot of sense. Um, I think they're going to move to an 18-game schedule, so they're going to have another game that they can sell the networks, okay? Um, and if that extra 18th game is going to be an internationally played game, well, what if some guy like Jeff Bezos wants to buy the rights to all the internationally televised games, or something like that. You know what I mean? Um, that's a package that's going to go for an elite amount of money. And, and then of course they'd probably throw in another playoff team in every conference. So the, the more, the more money there is to make the NFL is going to find it. They're going to, they're going to lift every rock and figure out if there's a dollar under it. And if there is, they're going to take it. Um, and they're going to leave an artificial bill to see if anybody else is looking for that dollar. And then when they get disappointed, they're going to go, well, you know, we'll sell you something if you're, if you're looking, uh, you know what I mean? Uh, so that's kind of how the NFL operates. And anyway, uh, that's why I picked 36 coaches. Cause in five years time, bank it, you bet your children's children's college fund. Um, they're going to have 36 teams in the NFL. I like the idea of the NFL selling like an NFT of the dollar that was hidden under that rock to whoever comes looking for it second, you know, like, yeah, you can't have the real dollar, but I'll sell you a digital copy. Um, well, the $500 so, uh, bill is going to, the $500 bill is going to have Roger Goodell on it. Yeah, that's right. Um, no, I love that explanation, mate. And it, it's really exciting. I think um, when I first got into the NFL, um, you know, I was like, no, you know, when people talked about expansion and that, I was like, oh, no, leave it as it is. It's good. At this point, I have just um, resigned myself to the fact to go with the uh, the capitalist acid trip that is the NFL. It's just going to expand at like, you know, a, a an insane a psychedelic rate into places we never would have thought um, in our lifetime. I'm sure Musk will be hosting a game, you know, on Mars or the moon or something. Uh, so no, let, let's just take this crazy trip. Let's buy the ticket and take the ride. Um, with that in mind, I wanted to start with a couple of coaches who are currently coaching in the NFL. And as I said, this this article, people should go and read the full thing. We're not going to go through every name. People should head to a footballworld.com and read the, the full 36 because it's a it's a bloody fascinating read. But first name, I'm a Steelers fan. Um, and I really wanted to get your perspective on Mike Tomlin. Now, Tomlin cops a bit of flack, particularly from the Steelers fan base. And I'm one of the few that, you know, really likes him and would be distraught. I'll be, I'll be crying black and gold tears when he when he finally isn't at the helm of the Steelers organization but you've got him still coaching Pittsburgh presumably um five years from now um you also said you believe he'll retire as the all-time winningest coach in league history what's your perspective on Tomlin and what he's going to continue to bring to the table and why you see him still being um at the top of the game in another five years well, I, I think he, uh, number one, I, I don't think he ever loses the attention of his players. Mm. Um, and I think, I, I don't know, but I think he's probably easy to work with 
if you're another coach, if you coach a position or if you like, he's easy to get on the same page with. Cause when you walk in and he interviews you, do you want to be the wide receivers coach? Okay, sit down. Let's, uh, let's do an interview here. Um, and you, you listen to him say what he expects out of you. And the standard is the standard, right? This is the Pittsburgh way. This is how we like to, this is how we like the coach, the receivers. Can you do that? Yeah. And you go either yes or no. And he goes next. Okay. So, so as long as your answer is yes. Uh, and you buy into the Pittsburgh Steelers way of doing things. And uh, I think uh, everything is fine because they already have a, a concrete way of how they want their team to pretty much look every year. I mean, the names and numbers and faces change uh, every year, uh, 25% or 17% of the team changes over every year. But for the most part, they always look the same. The Pittsburgh Steelers, he doesn't need to change or grow with the sport. It's a passing league or, oh, you got to have this. You got to have that. No. You got you got to have the right guy in charge to guide these men, and he does a fine job. Hasn't had a losing record, and the reason why I, I say that um, he will retire. Um, I look at his age. He's um, he's ten years younger than John Harbaugh right now. Okay, he's forty eight, I think. Um, and I'm looking at Bill Belichick. Okay, who's just kicked 70s door down. He's now 70 or 71. Yeah. I think Belichick's got, I think he's going to stick around and retire with the all time most amount of wins. I think it's going to take him midway through four seasons from now, mm-hmm. and he will walk away at the end of that. Um, but that would put Belichick at 30, 33 years coaching. If Tomlin's at 15 now at 48, he can get to the age 63 and if he keeps winning at the same rate that he's already winning at, which I think he's very capable of doing um, as long as some gargantuan collapse doesn't happen at the ownership and management level of the team, he's going to break that record. If he wants to keep coaching, if he wants to break that record, he's going to break that record and he's going to do it with the Steelers. This will be, the last job he ever has, unless he wants to take up cutting marble slabs like Randall Cunningham has <laughs> in Vegas, okay, uh, in his moonlight as a uh, uh, light carpenter or something, you know what I mean? Uh, yeah. in, in his after years, but but if he's never going to have another job in, in the National Football League, no college team is going to, you know, he he came out and said it. I loved it. You know, there isn't a booster on this planet with a big enough checkbook to lure him to college. Ask me about some college job. Um, I love he that. Is the coach of the Pittsburgh, he's the coach of the Pittsburgh Steelers. And I love the guy because he's from the Washington, D.C. area, which I am. So, um, you know, I bet you if I were to sit down and have a Bud Light with him, you know, we probably know a couple of the same slang words. You know, yeah. we're, we're from less than 50 miles from each other. So. You know, it would be interesting to just talk about stuff with him. Um, I feel like he'd be I, a, I truly think that, uh, an amazing person to sit down and have a beer with. He seems like a yeah, fascinating dude. I think he's uh, probably got a lot more, you know, uh, outside of the football game. He's probably got a lot of interests, you know, that nobody ever asks him about. You know what I mean? We know Belichick likes boats. Yeah. But, but what is my Tomlin like, you know, is he a gardener? Like, what do you do? Um, I'd be interested to know some of these things uh, about him. Um, you know, the, the, does he keep farm animals? You know, you never That's know. Right. He's probably yeah. got a, a stable going on over there. That's right yeah no that's awesome like yeah i I, well i take a lot of heart from that i i love the guy and it's funny you should refer to you know saying i think he's an easy coach to work with that actually came up in the press conference that he did at the end of the season they were asking about his relationship with kevin colbert you know uh, over his stretch there and he basically said i make myself i you know i sort of prioritize making myself an easy person to work with so yeah i think your instinct there is spot on it seems to be a pretty massive thing for him to make sure that he's easy to work with and i guess that creates a an open uh, work environment in pittsburgh um so another guy you know, just oh, sorry you go yeah quick question, quick question for you is have you ever heard other than a nutcase like antonio brown have you ever heard of a player that was like unhappy 
and Never. just dying to get out of there? Never. No. No. They're dying to leave the Jets. They're dying to get traded from Houston or whatever. But Pittsburgh, people don't they don't act like that there. Yeah. No, like you said, it's the absolute anomaly, you know, the the Le'Veon Bell or the Antonio Browns. And and to be honest, I'm I'm also interested to see how how the, the dynamic goes now that Roethlisberger is gone. It seemed towards the end of that run, you know, around that 2018 season when Le'Veon Bell stuff was happening and Antonio Brown stuff was happening, that there was a bit of an ego war there between some of the stars on the team. I'm interested now that we've sort of got this opportunity to reset. Um, yeah, what the chemistry is going to look like. I, I think it's an exciting time to be a Steelers fan, to be honest. But um, but then again, I don't feel like it's ever not because there's just the record of consistency is, yeah, something I really appreciate. Um, another guy um, who's currently coaching in the NFL, who you've got in um, your list as still coaching in five years, is Arizona Cardinals head coach Cliff Kingsbury. Now, I really wanted to talk about this one because I think you know, there'll be a lot of people out there who'll be going, what? He should be gone this year. You know, they just got the doors blown off them by um, the LA Rams and the Sean McVay show. But what I'm interested to hear your take on what you think it is about um, Kingsbury um, that gives him this chance to be an NFL head coach in five years time uh, and, and be kicking goals. Well, I think he's tied to Kyler Murray, and I think Kyler Murray is a spread offense quarterback. Uh, he's short. Mm. Uh, he needs to get that ball quickly, uh, move wherever he's going to move, and get rid of it. Um, he's not Josh Allen. He's you know what I mean. He can run, mm. and he can make you miss, but he, he's not. He's not ducking those shoulders down and <laughs> knocking linebackers over. <laughs> he's not stiff arming too many guys. Um, but I think Cliff Kingsbury, uh, he was an air raid quarterback, uh, in college under Mike Leach. Um, and then he was drafted by, he was fortunate enough to get drafted by Bill Belichick. And, uh, obviously he was never going to find the field with a map compass <laughs> protractor, whatever. Um, because they had a guy named Tommy, uh, uh, he had a pretty secure hold on, on that job up there in New England for a while. So Cliff Kingsbury found himself saying, well, you know what? Maybe I'm not the type of quarterback for the NFL, but if I get into coaching now, um, I might be able to get a little experience under my belt and, and get back into this league through the back door, which is exactly what he's done. Um, and uh, there's actually quite a few guys that went into coaching on this list at a very young age um, mm. and now have a decade plus experience. And <laughs> they're not even 40 yet. It's yeah. crazy. It's like, well, what the hell did I do with my life? But <laughs> uh, the, 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 the downside to Cliff, Cliff Kingsbury's offense and his schemes is that go back to Warren Moon uh, for the Houston Oilers. Okay. Um, when it gets late into the season, and this has been Kingsbury's thing, he's like had these late season meltdowns, had them at mm. Texas Tech, I think, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and now he's having them, you know, he's, he's fired out of the Roman candle earlier this season. We're going to go eight, <laughs> seven, and oh, eight, no, nine, and oh, whatever. And then they, yeah. you know, just kind of threw up all over themselves towards the end here. But, um, uh, outside of that, well, I think they beat Dallas, but then after that, you know, what, you know, what have you done for me lately? Mm. But the thing is with the run and shoot offenses and these spread offenses are built on speed. And that's why I call the Rams a finesse team because they're very similar. It's like when you're a finesse team and you need all this space and, and you're working on all this speed, if any team bumps you off of those routes and starts messing up your rhythm, uh, you find yourself behind in a game pretty quick and then uh, this is your only trick pony. Well, then, you know, by the time you put up 21, well, the opponent's already at 35 and there's 30 seconds left. So, you, you know what I mean? That's what happens to a lot of these high octane teams. I mean, the Rams with um, who's the guy that's got his own movie right now? The oh, greatest Kurt show on Warner. turf. Kurt Warner. They, yeah, they kind of crashed and burned with that offense after three or four seasons. They just couldn't maintain it. Teams catch up to them. 
Um, most of the time, eventually, all of these high octane spread offense, uh, it, it didn't last in Detroit. Wayne Fonts, he ran the spread at Rodney Pete. That guy named Barry Sanders is a pretty good football. They could not get out of the second round of the playoffs to save their lives. Um, and uh, over and over and over again, you know, when you when you built like that, you can be competitive. But if the if the right team or two figure out figures out how to beat you, it's usually towards the end of the year, and the better teams are playing when the playoffs come. They they prepare a little better, they're a little healthier, uh, and and they're a little faster and tougher than all the other teams you've been playing all year. That's why they're in the playoffs. So you, you know what I mean. If um, if you don't get in there and, and, and hit them in the mouth early, often. Uh, quickly, um, you know, you find yourself sitting at home watching the rest of these playoffs. And but I think he's a good enough coach. Like I said, Kyler Murray. What, what kind of offense are you going to put Kyler Murray in if you take yes. Kingsbury away? How many coaches are coaching the same scheme Kingsbury's coaching better than Kingsbury? Yeah, N- not a lot. You, you know, not ones that want to risk their job, their good, comfortable job at college, to come try out in the NFL to replace Kingsbury. Yes. No. Because then they'll just look like fools and they'll be fired after one year and you could have just kept Kingsbury. Okay. Uh, so I he's, think they'll, he'll be fine. And, and eventually I think you'll get to that second, third round of the playoffs, make a little bit more noise and you don't have to win the Super Bowl all the time. Just get make us good enough to sell, sell all the tickets and, and get some people, some Kyler Murray and Hopkins jerseys. And we're happy, you know, you, you don't have to win the Super Bowl. Do you think, so I think he'll stick around. Do you think too, like um, I heard this discussed on another podcast uh, last night um, and, you know, people were real. It was some of the um, feedback about Kyler Murray uh, and the playoff game against the Rams was, was really quite negative and saying, you know, um, you know, was this a turning point in Kyler Murray's career? You know, it was such a bad game that, you know, and, you know, one of the other hosts on this podcast brought up, well, Peyton Manning had a horrific start to his playoff career, um, you know, and, and, you know, many quarterbacks have had horrific starts to their, to their playoff career. Do you think in the same way that maybe we need to cut Kyler a bit of slack, we need to cut Cliff a little bit of slack as well? It, you know, it's, it's not like they've perennially been to the playoffs. This is like, you know, the first first bite at the cherry. Um, do you think that maybe, you know, as, as a football community, we should be bloody... Yeah, maybe chilling out a little bit and not not racing to behead so many of the league's staff, um, you know, at the first sign of trouble. Yeah, I mean, what is Kyler Murray, 25 years old? Yeah, younger than Joe Burrow. Okay. He's younger than that Korean boy band that's advertising <laughs> that new cell phone, okay? So, so you know what I mean? It's, yeah, Burrow, younger than, but that's ridiculous, okay? So is this a turning point? Yeah, he is going to get better and better as long as he doesn't, you know, lose his knee. Okay, like unfortunately, some quarterbacks love to move around; they lose their knee at a young mm. age. As long as that doesn't happen to him and and, and totally obliter- obliterate one of his very valuable assets as a member of the National Football League, he's going to be fine. Kingsbury, he's in his mid thirties. Okay, this guy hasn't even cracked the top ten percent of his playbook. Okay, so, you know, yeah, sure, it's spread, but he's going to be innovative next year. He's going to, they're going to draft some new people. They're going to, you know, they're going to lose some guys. They're going to bring some other guys in. Look what he did. You know, he made a trade. Yeah, sure, they lost in the playoffs. Arizona never uses a tight end. Mm. And for some odd reason, he said, you know what, let's send a pick over there to Philadelphia, get that Ertz guy. He's not very happy. We'll bring him in here, see what we can do with him. He immediately came in, like caught two touchdowns in 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah. His first game there, he, he hadn't even unpacked his bags. And he's already <laughs> spiking the ball for the second time, uh, I think on a Monday night game. So, you know, it's you know what I mean? Like, obviously he knows what he's doing. Uh, Mike McCarthy's been coaching for 10,000 years and uh, he's got the, he's got the best job in America, right? Coaching America's team. It doesn't get more high profile than that. Well, he shipped it in the same round that uh, Kingsbury just shipped it. And, and, and he's got 30 more years of experience. So by, by the logic of this, this is a turning point. Well, hell Mike McCarthy's had 20 turning points in his career and, he, and he's still around. So if he's still around, then Kingsbury's going to still be around. 
I love it. I love it. Yeah, no, we're, we're way too quick to bloody end people's careers, I think. And, and I think you're right. And and if you look at what the Cardinals were at the start of the season, it can't be underrated either. Like they suffered some some injury setbacks. I mean, they lost their, their number one wide receiver. Um, Kyler Murray had injury issues this season. I mean, we saw Colt McCoy come in and, and start some games for the Cardinals from memory this season, didn't we, for, for Arizona? Um, you know, JJ Watt wasn't healthy the full way through. So uh, there's a lot of reasons you could point to in, you know, as well as maybe the fact that Kingsbury is going to develop further um, as a head coach, the longer his career goes on. Um, Now there's some coaches uh, sort of who are currently with NFL teams. Um, And I want to start with one um, who works in the same building as Mike McCarthy. Um, and that is Kellen Moore for the Dallas Cowboys. Now, Dallas goes out in pretty controversial and, in my opinion, kind of embarrassing circumstances. One of the most bizarre endings to a football game. I've, it felt like a comedy sketch. I, I don't know how you, you know, like what sort of um, bizarre, you know, uh, punked, episode are we living in when the Dallas Cowboys run <laughs> you know a quarterback draw up the middle with 14 seconds on the clock and then you know you've got an umpire trying to you know dry root Dak Prescott to get through to, to spot the ball and you know the clock expires and Dallas goes out I want to get your take on Callan Moore because I'm kind of of the opinion if we're going to be speaking of turning points that that Jerry you know is is you know he's getting on and there's less and less years left to watch the, the boys get back to the top. And I think McCarthy, um, as, an, as a Dallas outsider, um, probably doesn't have as much rope as the clapper Jason Garrett had. Do you think we could see Callan Moore in 2022 or is it 2023? Do you think this guy is the next head coach of the Dallas Cowboys? Yes, yeah. Um, yes, I do. And uh, the, the, here's a, j- just like Kingsbury, I mean, he went to Boise State. Uh, they throw the ball all over the place in Boise State. Um, and I don't know if you remember this, but he was actually going to be the quarterbacks coach for the San Diego fleet of the AAF um, and John Kitna. Uh, former quarterback, um, he was going to be the offensive coordinator. Kitna stepped down and decided to go ca- uh, coach Texas high school football um, for $165,000 a year to coach high school football. That, I mean, that's big money for high school football. My yeah. God, I think it's a volunteer job where I live. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> down in Texas, oh, you better coach him up. Yeah. You better pay your time down. <laughs> Or we're going to take you back out and shoot you. You go eight and four, you're a dead man. Uh, but anyway, um, uh, uh, so Kellen Moore, uh, when Kitna stepped down, you know, they were having issues getting paid, obviously. That league wasn't out of business. So they all stepped down before the damn season even started. Uh, Kellen Moore took the job, I think, as a quarterback's coach. Um, now they've moved him up to coordinator. You know, the clapper, Jason Garrett, he took that head coaching job from being the offensive coordinator there. They, they decided to stick with him. Now, he was a Dallas Cowboy quarterback. He was Troy Aikman's backup for a while there. So there was a connection. But I think he whispered sweet nothings in Jerry Jones' ear and says, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll do whatever you want. You're, you're the owner of this team. You want me to coach? I'll coach. And this is the way I'm going to keep calling plays this way. And hopefully we can win you another Super Bowl. And I think Jerry Jones liked that answer. And he said, all right, well, let's get rid of this other guy. And I'm going to just go ahead and make the announcement tomorrow on my boat. Um, so <clears throat> that's how that happened. And I do think that we could see that happen in Dallas again. Um, you know, uh, Stephen Jones might not make the same decision, but I think when Jerry Jones likes somebody and he pretty much told Mike McCarthy, Kellen Moore ain't going nowhere. He's here. He's our offensive <laughs> coordinator. So I don't know what kind of offense you're running, but we're running a Kellen Moore offense. You just coach the rest of the guys, you know? So I, I think that's probably kind of sort of how that conversation happened. Do you want the money or not? 
it's and he it's said, a massive yes, scoop. It's a massive scoop for the JBSE to be able to feature Jerry Jones on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's great to have. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so yeah, to answer your question, I've got more before going off to his alma mater, Boise State, or anywhere else for that matter to take his skills elsewhere. I think with the receivers they have, and I don't think they're going to keep Amari Cooper this offseason. I think uh, Amari Cooper is a free agent, and I think his time is has probably come and gone. He's made a lot of money there as a Dallas Cowboy, and they've they you know they can win with somebody else that looks just like him for mm-hmm. 10% of the money. Um, but uh, I think that um, more with that offense, you know, now they've got a second running back that's popped up, whether they keep or not keep Zeke, um, you, you know, uh, and or Amari. I think they've got a lot of weapons. They can retool that offensive line or something like that. Then Kellen Moore can step in and score a lot of points. If they if they keep up building with that defense, I don't know if they're going to keep that uh, knee, uh, uh, Neil, the guy, the two safeties they brought in. They moved one to linebacker from the Falcons, uh, uh, Neil and somebody else. I'm trying. They brought to in two of their safeties and they moved one of them to linebacker this year. Yeah. And of course, they draft Parsons. They, you know, got rid of the one guy they took in the first round a couple of years ago. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. he was no longer productive. Let's see what they do with Vanderish. But they've got, you know, maybe Lawrence is gone. But but they always seem to retool, reload uh, at certain positions in Dallas and get some more explosive players on the field. Digs is another one that's making plays, you know, gives up a bunch, but he makes a bunch too. He's, he's a, he's a born, natural born cowboy. Unfortunately went to my daughter's high school. Um, but uh, I, uh, I, I think that, that Gallon Moore would happily take that job. And I think yeah. that Jerry Jones would happily. Keep, and, and when you get a first year head coach, that's moving up from a coordinator spot, especially from within the team, you can pay him less. Okay, you know, you don't have to pay him Mike McCarthy money. You know, you can give more. All right, let's check you out. Let's see if you're any good. I'll give you three years, $2 million each. Whereas yeah. if you want McCarthy, you're paying him six, seven, eight, maybe double digit millions of dollars to, you know, drive all the way down from Wisconsin to, to help get your team a title. So, you, you know, uh, I, I, I don't think I don't think Jerry Jones has too many blood ties uh, with Mike McCarthy. Yeah, no, 100% agree. And and it's always, yeah, felt like that was a bit of a short rope for McCarthy in Dallas. So, you know, I'm, I'm totally with you. Um, now, speaking of promoting from within the organization and bearing in mind, we're talking about five years from now. And you said earlier that Bill Belichick, you reckon he goes about another four seasons. Well, speaking of the Patriots organization and who might take over from, from Billy B., in in new england i want to talk about the uh the foxborough waterfall uh the the voluptuous mullet of um of stephen balachek uh current de facto defensive coordinator of the patriots what have you got for us on stephen balachek bill's son more importantly, 30 years from now, we are going to see one of these celebrity boxing matches between him and Gardner Minshew <laughs> uh, in, a, in a steel cage. And, they, you know, they're going to dip their hand in the honey like they did on Kickboxer and then put the crushed glass on it on the glove. You're going to be held in a death match, right? Tom Poe's going to lick his glove and you know, a bleeding tongue. Um, no, um so Stephen Belichick has now been on with the team, I think, for eight, nine, ten years, maybe now. Um, I mean, this guy, he barely had a rat tail when he started <laughs> helping out, uh, you know, carrying uh, tackling dummies or whatever, you know, filling up Gatorade cups or whatever he was doing <laughs> in the back then. But uh, now, um, you know, they moved him from a defensive assistant to a uh, 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 secondaries coach safeties. Uh, now they've moved him across uh, uh, coaching the linebackers. It wouldn't shock me at all if he's either working with some of the D linemen uh, this upcoming year, or maybe Belichick moves him over to special teams for the year, or transitions him over to the offensive side of the ball. Maybe he's like the assistant tight ends coach or something like that, because. Bill Belichick is the kind of guy that 
if he wants you to learn the game of football, you are going to spend a little bit of time learning about every aspect you possibly can. Um, and if that is the mastermind plan for him to break that record, all time most wins, uh, ride off, ride his boat off into the lagoon uh, and leave the keys to the team with uh, the mullet of mayhem, uh, which is Steven. Um, he's got two sons on the coaching staff. Steven is the one that looks to be trajecting to, 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 to be somebody that's actually going to form Voltron, you, you know yeah. what I mean, out of the two. So uh, that wouldn't surprise me. Now, remember, this is the one that's been thrown off the field. Remember, they, they accused him of spying on the other team like last year, the year before they had him escorted off the field. Uh, he's the one that, like, you know, everybody's posting memes with his tongue out and stuff like that. Like, what is he looking at a cheeseburger? What is he doing? You know what I mean? Uh, but uh, all jokes aside, if you were to sit down with this guy and pick his brain about football, mm. you, you know what I mean? This guy's been living in, in the bunk beds next door over down the hall from the greatest mind of football history. So if you think they're not talking about football at breakfast and midnight snacks and things like that, you know, it's like when they go out to the movies, they're watching draft day and things <laughs> like that. So, you know what I mean? I'm sure their wife hates it. Now, Mr. <laughs> Belichick's wife, um, unless she's a football fanatic too, which wouldn't shock me. But I, I think that's uh, the career path for him and, and I think uh, their owner, um, Robert Kraft, he's watched Belichick's kids grow up. He's watched his daughters grow up. I think one of his daughters won a state lacrosse championship and all that. And they were there to see that. And, 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 all, and, and they support when you're a lifetime patriot, whether you're on the coaching staff, remember they made a big deal that that equipment manager retired after like 50 years of being yeah. on the team or something like that. And Belichick like broke down into tears talking about the equipment guy, you know <laughs> what I mean? Or the landscaper, the guy that took care of the lawn. I can't remember exactly what it was, yeah. but um, just to know like uh, the type of organization they've built and maintained since he has been there has been, is, is just ridiculously kind of like the Steelers, you know, it's very close and people give him a hard time. I ah, deflate gate and spy gate and whatever fancy gate, whatever. Uh, and that's that's fine. You know, they, they win a lot of football games up there, too. They're not about losing. That's for sure. Uh, and right now he's learning how to win, even with a young, inexperienced Alabama quarterback. And usually those guys don't pan out well at the pro level. He's doing all right, Mac Jones. Uh, going to the playoffs, your rookie season ain't too bad. 100%. And I mean, I love to think about the NFL like a Game of Thrones type landscape with, with each team sort of representing, you know, one of the great houses, you know, in Game of Thrones and you have the rise and fall of houses and, and you know, lords and ladies within within said houses and i mean new england fits that bill so well they feel like you know they'd be the you know the uh, castle off in the uh, off in the uh, the frozen tundra you know a very secretive kingdom um full of uh yeah whispers and and rumors and 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 intelligence gathering people um the Boltons, I, I, like House yes, Boltons. exactly what I was thinking of. The, the Boltons, uh, I House feel Foxborough, uh, Castle Foxborough, <laughs> yeah. And I, I love the idea of uh, Sir Stephen Belichick ultimately ascending to the lordship of uh, of Foxborough. That sounds um, amazing to me. And he, and he looks like the eldest son that is going to claim all the lands and titles against <laughs> the old man. Absolutely. goes off to the night's watch he looks like he, he he's he looks like he should have been co-starring with matt damon and ben affleck in the last duel that's what his hair does oh, yeah. yeah. um, oh, yeah. <laughs> let's let's end with talking about um a couple a depressing of, movie by the way oh yeah I, I haven't quite watched it yet um <laughs> it looked it looked depressing um there's three names here that um, aren't necessarily so familiar um, for people. I want to start with a guy who is currently in the NFL, and then we're going to just quickly talk about two college coaches. So just quickly, Mike McDaniel from the San Francisco 49ers. Um, what are your thoughts on this guy? So this is a dude I haven't heard of much. Obviously, he's working underneath and in the shadow of Kyle Shanahan. Um, 
what are your thoughts on McDaniel and, and, and yeah, why you think this dude could be a, um, a potential uh, NFL head coach in five years' time? Well, first of all, he went to Yale. Okay, so he's, he's a pretty smart guy, all right? Uh, he's uh, 38 years old. He's now been in the league in the NFL for 15 years. Wow. Uh, if you look at some of the teams, I mean, he's been – it's amazing to know that he's already been in the NFL. He's going on year 11 in the NFL, or excuse me, uh, year – oh, that's wrong. He's going on year 16. Jesus, um, that's a long time. In the NFL this year at 38 years old. So he's right out of Yale and into the highest paying profession in all of the work fields of the world. You know what I mean? Unless you're, unless you're a software designer in San Francisco or you know what I mean? <laughs> something, something like that, you're making a lot of money in the NFL and he's working his way up. I think that he is part of a young spunky front office and coaching staff in San Francisco uh, Kyle Shanahan is football royalty. He grew up like Stephen Belichick, watching his uh, father put together coaching staffs and, and acquiring and moving on from players and, and winning titles and things like that. And he knows what it takes there. He's seen his father coach three different, four different schemes throughout the, his career. You know, they went from, uh, you know, pure West Coast to a little bit of Air Coriel to the zone blocking, you know what I mean? Uh, zone block run. So, he, now this guy comes in, he spent time in Houston. He spent time in Washington. He spent time, where's he been? Cleveland Browns, Atlanta Falcons. He was with uh, Kyle Shanahan with the 28-3 blown lead. So it's like, he knows what it feels like to lose. So he knows whatever was in the playbook when we had that lead is now gone. We're calling these plays. Now we're, here's our playbook, Debo Samuel. Okay. So he knows what works. Okay. Um, George Kittle. He's turned him into the best tight end in football. Debo Samuels, a wide receiver, they're handing him the ball because they can't get any of their running backs to stay healthy on the field uh, at the same time. You know what I mean? Um, their line, they, they were smart enough to go get Trent Williams after he was uh, malcontent in Washington. Uh, he's now back to being the best left tackle in football. Way to go, Washington. You really screwed the pooch on that one. But, uh, you know, the reality is, is that they have been putting together – uh, a team uh, and, and they've been, you know, plugging the dike and throwing band-aids on this thing between COVID and losing guys for extended periods of time uh, with injury. And they've had some guy named Jimmy Garoppolo. Okay. Who, who really, honestly, he should be like in the CFL or the XFL probably, you know, he's not a, maybe he could play for the Titans. He's probably like Ryan Tannehill-esque good. Yeah, that's probably his ceiling. But if that's your ceiling, you probably don't belong here. You know, it's it's time to start giving some reps to Trey Lance or something like that. And that's probably what they're going to be doing this offseason is moving on from Jimmy. He's only got a million and a half guaranteed. So anyway, this guy is, uh, I believe I read today that he's got a couple of interviews lined up. He's young enough. He's the type of guy to walk into an interview and start like McVeigh, start yapping off at all this offensive terminology and blow some owner and general manager away. And they go, we want this guy. Let's get that uh, guy that looks like the illegitimate son of David Koresh. I want him. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, looks no. like he'd say you brownies out the back door. You know what I mean? But, uh, but he calls a good uh, that was a good offensive game. Um, and, and right now, I don't know. I'm looking at a picture of him. I have no idea what's in his left pocket there, but it is a big item. Um, <laughs> but anyway, uh, I, I think he's I think he's right for the league. They've got an offensive look in San Francisco that kind of look, looks like what they run in Philadelphia, looks like what they're running in Indianapolis. Mm. Um, you know, looks like what Peterson was running when he was in Philadelphia, just, you know, this is not an offense. that's going to, you know, didn't I blow your mind this time? Didn't mm. I, you know, this is not their kind of thing, you know, but they, they're beating you. They play strong de uh, defense and they score just enough points to piss you off. Um, and if, if you don't have the ball last, well, you're probably not going to win that game at all. You, you know what I mean? And, and we saw, well, we saw Dallas. They had the ball last and couldn't figure it out. So, you know, um, yeah. I think he's doing a fine job and, and his trajectory is on the up.
Yeah, I like McDaniel um, based on what you've said. And yeah, you're right. It sort of looks like guy who'd like either the young, trendy head coach or possibly, you know, running like a weed dispensary somewhere. Um, yeah. So <laughs> uh, another couple of names just before I let you go and you can go and finish Ghostbusters because I know I've interrupted you halfway through the new Ghostbusters film. Um, first off, Luke Fickle of the Cincinnati Bearcats. Uh, obviously, mm-hmm. you know, has led the team to a, to a crazy, you know, rise during his time there. What do you think Fickle could bring um, as a head coach in the NFL? I think Fickle would be a great coach uh, for the Cleveland Browns. Mm. Uh, he's an Ohio guy. And I don't know if Stefanski is going to stand the test of time there. The thing is with Fickle is that he's, he seems like a loyalist kind of guy. I don't know if he would leave Cincinnati high and dry uh, just a year or two years after signing a four or five year extension. Um, they've been very good to him. They've given him a lot of freedom. Um, he has brought up a lot of decent coaches. Uh, uh, Freeman, the now the new head coach in, in uh, Notre Dame, um, was his defensive coordinator before he went to Notre Dame. Brian Kelly leaves, uh, elevate Freeman. Fickle, um, when he got to Cincinnati, they were hovering around 70th, 60th in the recruit rankings every year since he's been there. If you look at his record, it's like nine wins, 10 wins, 11 wins, 10, nine wins, 11 wins. You know what I mean? He's a winner. He's winning. Uh, and every year they jump up about five or 10 spots on that recruiting uh, list. And now I believe they've topped the, uh, the crack, the top 30. For the first time going into this year, into 2022, uh, I believe they're in the top 30. That's huge. I don't know what the uh, name, image, and likeness uh, rules, laws are in the state of Ohio, but if he's able to bring in more talent, start snagging up some of this Ohio state talent and some of these other heartland of America schools that are up there, Michigan, uh, you, know, you know, Nebraska, Indiana, Purdue, um, you know, that whole corridor uh, right there. They all kind of pick the same kids, um, you know, pit, uh, then, then he's going to be, they're going to go back to the playoffs again. You, you know what I mean? Now they're going to move to the big 12. So their schedule is going to get a little harder, but it sure looks to me like they can play with just about anybody. I mean, Georgia and Alabama are just so much better than everybody. So yeah, and that's a tough one, but, but, uh, but I think, I think the big 12, even losing Oklahoma and um, and Texas, I think they're getting better with the addition of Cincinnati, UCF, and there's two more that are coming over um, that I, I can't remember right now. But I think they're actually going to get better as a conference. At first, I thought they were going to, oh, my God, they might as well just drop out of football altogether. Now I've taken a closer look at it. Uh, I think Houston. I think Houston's one of them. Yes. Houston's yes. coming. Um, so you've got a problem, big 12 Houston's coming. Um, but anyway, uh, I, I think he is, he's at the right age. I think he's got the right mindset and I think he can lead professionals. Some guys can't transition from college to the pros. Like they can't handle it. These guys are making too much money. They don't want to listen. I think, I mean, I look at every other picture I find of him on the internet. He looks like he's trying to laser beam eyeball stare like a Homelander on the yeah. boys. It looks like he's trying to burn a hole into a brick building with his eyeballs. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, I'm quite frankly afraid of the guy. Absolutely. I, I wouldn't think- fart in front of him. <laughs> it's not a bad quality to have, you know, to be, to, to have that sort of, um, um, aura about you as a head coach. I feel like, you know, some of the guys we talked about, like Mike Tomlin definitely have that thing where they can walk in and command a room instantaneously. I also think it's interesting talking about a guy like Fickle and some of these college coaches and some of the young guys who are coaching in the NFL is that it seems to me in the era of name image likeness um, and the, the era of sort of, you know, more and more increased free agency and, and player power that, we're moving away from that sort of Joe judge approach, that urban Meyer approach of, of, um, you know, treating your players kind of, you know, like a hard ass. It makes me think of that saying that, you know, no one cares how much, you know, until they know how much you care. And that was a surprising thing reading about the, 
uh, reading the Bill Belichick biography, um, Education of a Coach, was how much his players respect him because they do know that he cares about them because they know he cares about them enough to be honest with them and prepare them to the best of their ability. And I feel like Fickle and some of these guys coming out know how to strike this balance of being hard and honest with players while also loving them up and, and, and proving that they care about the dudes. I think it's a really um, fine balance to strike. And I think some of these guys do it really well. 100%. Um, let's finish. You were talking about Houston joining the Big 12. Let's finish with uh, first-year defensive coordinator for University of Houston, Doug Belk. This is a name I had not heard. You've kind of been excited on and off about a few elements of this Houston team. I'm sure you mentioned you were excited about a quarterback that they had on their roster. Um, so you're also excited about the defensive coordinator. How does Doug Belk get from first year defensive coordinator in Houston to an NFL head coach in 2027 or 26? Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I don't know. I, I, he may have to uh, take a tour in one of these spring leagues first and springboard into the NFL um, because throughout his coaching history so far, he doesn't have a great deal of, uh, any that I've identified as what I would call NFL connections. So he's going to be going about this the hard way. He's doing a lot of shovel work right now, but he is getting a lot of results from his players. He's taking guys that are averaging 85th, 73rd, 72nd, 69th ranked in recruiting, and they just put up a top 10 defense uh, with it in his first year on the job. And, and see, the thing was, he was coaching a position uh, on the team the year before they wanted him for the, they knew they wanted him to take over as defensive coordinator. I think they lost uh, their, their offensive coordinator is now their offensive coordinator from last year is now somewhere else, but and I found it intriguing. They worked together on the team, but, but anyway, they gave him a two year deal. He is the highest defensive coordinator uh, coordinator of any side of the ball in university of Houston history. Okay. So that tells you that they, they, they like him. They really like him. They don't want to lose him at all. Now their head coach is probably, you know, not going anywhere, but they wanted to make sure they took care of Doug Bell um, turnovers to generate. And I think they were top five or six or seven in turnovers points. They were up there yards. They were up there. Uh, they're just stoning teams Ranked 21. I mean, when you think of uh, University of Houston, you don't, you know, they're, they're not usually synonymous with the top 25. Okay. But to, to get a guy, young, energetic, players love him. He's starting to help out with recruiting. Uh, he's a good looking guy. Sit down on that couch with your parents, you know, uh, show you a, sli a slideshow on the projector. People still use those uh, of the campus. You know what I mean? Take you through the tour. Maybe nowadays he can slip you that McDonald's bag of cash for all I care because NIL is, is taking over the globe. But he seems like a guy that people are wanting to play for right now. And he's going to keep going up, uh, barring some catastrophe. Uh, you, you know, where they just come out and, you know, fall all over their faces next year, which I don't think is going to happen at all. Much like Cincinnati, I think they're going to have it a little bit rougher going uh, once they get into the Big 12. But really, honestly, how much better are the teams in the Big 12 than is it the AAC, I think, that yeah. they're coming from? Yeah. Not that much better, honestly. They don't play each other often. So you don't really have a whole great sample size to work off of. Um, but they lost one game this year, Houston. And, and, and it's not like they got ran off the field. So, you know, I got a lot of confidence in him. Clayton Toon, I really like their quarterback. Uh, I think he's got two more years to play there. They're going to be a fine football team. Um, you know, come 2022-23, uh, when his contract's up and Clayton Toon's ready for drafting, I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if Clayton Toon is one of the first four or five quarterbacks off the board uh, at that point. So, you, you know, all you got to do is keep winning. And, and he looks, he looks, sounds, acts, you know, dresses like a winner to me. Yeah, absolutely. And it's funny, you know, he's sort of saying about, you know, his ability to recruit, to sit down on the, on the couch with, you know, 
with a recruit's parents and, and sort of, um, you know, I guess convince them that he's, he's the dude to, to take care of their kid, you know, through the college journey. It's almost like that's a, a transferable trait now to the press conference, to the fans in the NFL. You know, you can imagine Sean McVay, you know, th- thinking back the other way, Sean McVay seems like a dude who could walk into a, you know, a recruit's house and sit down on the couch and pitch the program to the parents. So I think, like I said, you know, just before it's starting to feel like there's a lot of transferable skills for college coaches into the NFL as the sort of culture around um, program building and that sort of stuff changes. I mean, obviously you've still got to have um, extreme X's and O's um, ability and, and scheme management and all that sort of stuff in the NFL. Like, I mean, it's, it is a step, a significant, you know, step up in terms of all that stuff, but um as far as the other qualities, uh, it seems like some of these guys are learning that stuff in college and it's, and it's more applicable than ever at the pro level. Um, Absolutely. And it also helps, the last thing I'll say is, I think yeah. University of Houston has a really nice campus. It's, it's really situated well. Mm. Uh, they've got a great facility. I think there's a reason that the XFL chose the University of Houston to have their uh, bubble preseason mm-hmm. uh, and and their housing and all that right there for for the entire league, all eight of their teams in t- in the year two thousand. It wouldn't surprise me if they come back and do it again because it is a very well situated, it, it, it a good part of the city there, and it's it's just got a lot of amenities mm-hmm. to it. And I think that's a selling point, you know, when they say, "Hey, look what we got here. We we got uh, we we got a uh, uh, body armor and Gatorade dispensers in the locker room." <laughs> Alabama doesn't even have that. There's a bit of bit of oil money down there. I feel like bit of oil money. You know, Um, wasn't wasn't that the Houston coach? I'm trying to think which. um, uh, Was Dana Holgerson? Is he down there at the moment? Is he head coach in Houston? I'm trying to think of who the head coach is in Houston. I'm sure. I'm sure one of the Houston head coaches in recent times, part of his contract was was to do with with oil shares down there. I'm I'm I'm, I'm pretty sure. I could be speaking out of my ass, but um, I'm sure I I'm sure I heard that. Dana Holgerson, very yeah. good job. Good yeah, job. I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure there was something about um, oil shares being a part of his uh, his coaching contract down there. I'm sure I heard that rumor. Um, John, he's still there. It's been an absolute bloody pleasure to talk to you. People should go and check out your article. We, we've only covered seven coaches of the 36 um, who have the possibility of being NFL head coaches in 2027 when, you know, when the league expands. Um, so go and read, go to a footballworld.com. Read NFL crystal ball predicted the NFL coaches five years from now. It's a banger of a read. It's a banger of a website. People should go and check it out. Um, also check out John. Um, well, at least once a week on, on the pro football Alliance show. I feel like, you, you know, you're, you're doing good work there as well, John. Is there anywhere else people can find you to follow your content or is that, that's a lot. I believe we got a YouTube, a football world YouTube channel, but I, I really don't put a whole lot on there, to be honest with you. I, I'm content trying to help Arlington and them guys and, and all you guys uh, in this roundtable thing with the pro football lines. I think there's something there. You know, nobody wants to just listen to me talk uh, for too long. So that's why I haven't put up too many uh, YouTubes of my own. But I've been thinking about doing a little short wing sprint, five minute ones every morning, uh, maybe moving forward here. Uh, I'm better at sprinting, although I'm very slow. Um, <laughs> but no, I appreciate having you. Uh, you're a great writer, and and every I've never read anything bad from you. So you you know it's it's uh, it's I think we're really lucky. We've got some personalities write real, just unique, and, and just be yourself. And you know what I mean. We don't have anybody telling us is this how I need you to write or what I need you to write and all that other stuff. And I think that's what makes it fun and, and, and readable um you know every once in a while I'll, I'll see where one of my articles was posted or yours and they'll go wow that was a great article yeah you know what i mean and, yeah. and I go, yes yeah you, you know it's like, good because it took me two hours it better be good um but but it's uh, I, 
Hey, man, I'm so glad that uh, you and I uh, were able to e-meet, and, and hopefully we can we can uh, real meet, um, you, you know, sometime pretty soon here. You know, maybe uh, uh, Australia is going to go the way of the United Kingdom. You see, they're lifting all their mandates. Hi, hi, hi. I think this week or something. So, you know, you never know. You guys were once a part of the uh, the 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 uh the british uh, uh uh loyalty there so that's right uh, we'll see excellent no thanks so much john appreciate your time appreciate you putting my my written work up on the website so yeah go to a footballworld.com check out all the stuff there um and yeah thanks so much john really appreciate your time thank you thanks for having me